Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. Uh, I think this is my second time uh, preaching at New Sea Church. I'm just thrilled to be here. Uh, Dylan and Christina have been a great blessing to Jessica and I as we've uh, been on the church planning journey. We actually, um, if you know in iPhones how you can name uh, text message groups, the Dodsons are church planning gurus in our uh, in our. Uh, messages. So we're just thankful for them. We're constantly sending them question after question after question. And, and I really want to like communicate how thankful I am for both of them, just because I don't think I realized how much, how many decisions there are in church planting from the type of chairs that you're sitting in. There was thought that went into that. You could have the mesh back or the cloth. Uh, I mean, what happens behind here, song choice, giving platform. Uh, I'm usually really quick to make decisions, but uh, I've had a little decision fatigue. So uh, there's been several times where I've been like, Christina, tell me what to do. Because uh, I'm uh, tired of looking at demos and things like that. So really am grateful. Uh, the Dodsons have, uh, will have planted us in more than one ways. And we're just really, really, really grateful for that. I want to say a uh, super shout out to my mini staff team. Um, of course, we've got Jessica. We have a baby boy that's here with us today. We're just kind of like beg, barn, and stilling uh, here. And we're planting together. The Brzezinski's, hope you meet them. Uh, Jordan's doing community groups for us. There's another Jordan. we got two of them. And then Kat's uh, doing a ton of... Uh, ministries um, from Sunday teams of kids. So uh, maybe shake their hands and uh, tell them everything you know about church planning because we are uh, learning on the run. So so glad to be here. I'm going to read uh, 2 Samuel 9. If you have a Bible, um, you can open it up. If not, there's one below you. Uh, or it is in page uh, 269. Like, I love that, even like putting the, the page number up there. Um, in, the pew, or in the chair Bibles, turn there with me. I'm going to read all of 2 Samuel 9, and I'll pray and we'll get started. 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. Uh, David asked, Is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? There was a servant of Saul's named Ziba. They summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked him, Is there anyone left in Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? And Ziba said to the king, There is still Jonathan's son, uh, who was injured in both his feet. And the king asked him, where is he? And Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodabar, the house of Machar, the son of Amiel. So King David had brought him from the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Verse 6, Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, uh, son of Saul, came to David. He fell face down, and he, and he paid homage. And David said to him, Mephibosheth, I'm your servant, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness. For the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all uh, your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, What is it that your servant like me, uh, that you would take an interest in your servant like me, who is a dead dog? And then verse 9, Then the king summoned Saul's uh, attendant, Ziba, and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to work the ground for him, you're to bring in his crops so that your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Verse 11. And Ziba said to the king, your servant will do all that the Lord commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because his feet... Uh, uh, because he always ate at the king's table and last there. His feet were, had been injured. All right, let's pray. Hop into this passage. Father, we love you, <clears throat> and we're so thankful for your word. Thank you for the scriptures, God. 
Thanks so much for how they point to Jesus. Thousands of years uh, before Jesus walked the earth, we know that Jesus always existed in eternity past, um, but in the incarnation he came. And these passages point to it, uh, realities surrounding the gospel. Things like adoption, thing like, things like being given an inheritance, uh, things like being given grace to people in desperate, uh, desperately in need of it. So, God, just thanks for your word. It is such a treasure for us as your people. And I pray, Lord, I would uh, this morning proclaim your word to your people. And uh, Father, if there's anyone in the room uh, today that would say that they're not a Christian, that they're not a follower of Jesus, I want them to know in this moment that they're welcomed here, they belong. We're thankful that they're here. And uh, Father, I pray through Second uh, Samuel 9 that you would show them the gospel and that they would leave here knowing you. And for believers in the room, I pray that they would mature in their knowledge of you. And they would walk with you, trust you, and love you for a lifetime. And uh, for me, Father, as always, uh, well does the accuser roar of wrongs that I've done. I know them all and thousands more. But Father, I know you knoweth none. Father, it is Jesus who qualifies me to preach. Uh, not my recent religious performance or anything that I've done, but because of Christ and Christ alone. So pray I'd hide behind the cross and uh, individuals will leave here not thinking that I am great or King's Table is great or that sermon was great, but they would leave here thinking that you are great and that you love them more than they could ever ask or imagine. And ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Well, by way of uh, introduction, in uh, Luke chapter 24, Jesus does this amazing thing where he gives his disciples a framework for how to approach the Old Testament. Now, again, if you're new to the Bible, Second um, Samuel uh, chapter 9 is in the Old Testament. And um, Jesus gives his uh, followers a, maybe a scaffolding on which to approach understanding the Old Testament well. He does this in verse 20, uh, Luke chapter 24, verse 44, where he says this, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the Old Testament must be fulfilled. Right, so Jesus is saying that the Old Testament is about him. And simply put, the Bible is about Jesus. Right? Jesus is the only hero, even concerning this morning's passage. Right? David does some really amazing things in 2 Samuel 9 as he extends grace and mercy and adoption to Mephibosheth. But you should not be that impressed with King David. Because if you are, you'll be gravely disappointed in him in two chapters. You can read 2 Samuel 11 uh, for homework this weekend. And that's because Jesus is the only hero of the Bible. Right? And all of God's redemptive story points to and is fulfilled in Jesus. I think you say, this just came to mind at New City, the Bible is a unified story that points to Jesus. Is that right? Is that close? Yeah, look, hey, it's catchy and memorable. That's great. Um, anyway, and that's the whole point of uh, my intro for 2 Samuel 9. As I want you to know, all of this points to Christ. And the main point of today's sermon is this. Through faith in Jesus, God's people are adopted into his family by grace. We're given unbelievable privileges. And in response, we're com compelled to invite others into God's family. And in this passage in 2 Samuel 9, we see three things. The first is this. David was compelled to show God's kindness to another. If you look back at your Bibles in verses 1, 3, and 7, you'll see a couple things repeated. Um, verse 1, 3, and 7. Is there uh, anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Verse 3. Is there not still someone in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? In verse 7. I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Well, for starters, if you called it, there's two important phrases in uh, verses 1, 3, and 7. David is compelled to show the kindness of God to another, and he's uh, wanting to do this for Jonathan's sake. So I want to provide some uh, context around those two phrases. The first, for Jonathan's, for Jonathan's sake. 
Uh, the books of First and Second Samuel are about uh, several different key leaders. And I've got this little diagram because I'm a teacher at heart that will show you uh, who's who. So on the right here, you got Samuel. He's a, a leader, priest, and prophet for Israel. And then at the top there, you have Israel's first king, King Saul. He's got his hands on his hips because he's upset because he's about to lose his kingship. And then you've got uh, his son, Jonathan, and then his son, Mephibosheth. Now, side note um, on Mephibosheth, I'm a boy from Western North Carolina, and to name a church after this passage, I probably set myself up to say the word Mephibosheth way too many times for the rest of my life. So it's in this passage about 13 times. I'll say it 14 different ways, but just bear with me. That's Mephibosheth. I, w- I worked through a couple of different uh, nicknames, but none of them came out right, so we're just going to go for it. But then King David, he's not biologically related uh, to Saul or Jonathan or Mephibosheth, but he's really, really close friends uh, with Jonathan. And in 1 Samuel, uh, Samuel anoints Saul as king, and he's crushing it for a little bit. He wins a couple of battles, he has some high points, but he also has a lot of low points. And eventually, Saul will not obey God's commands. And because of this, God takes the kingdom from Saul in 1 Samuel 13 and gives it to David, or uh, predicts that he's going to give it to David. And then a few chapters later, in 1 Samuel 17, uh, Israel is in this famous battle. If uh, you're from the south, uh, been around the Bible Belt for a while, you're probably uh, familiar with the story of uh, David and Goliath. But uh, the story is this. Um, The Israelites are in this battle with the Philistines, and every morning, this battle of this battle, this super tall warrior would come out, and he would provoke both Israel and God, but no Israelite soldier would fight him. Well, David comes along at this young age. He, uh, he's a shepherd boy, right? And he kills Goliath with just a, a slingshot and a stone. And then Israel defeats the Philistines. And as they're coming back into town, if you can imagine like maybe a World Series champ or a, a Super Bowl champ coming back into town, this is what the people are, are saying or are cheering. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands, 1 Samuel 18. Right? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousand. And immediately from that point forward, jealousy sets in for Saul, right? And his life becomes consumed with hunting down and killing David. And as uh, Saul is seeking to kill David, Saul's son Jonathan becomes really good friends with David. They're like brothers and they care for and love for one another. Uh, even though as Saul's son, right, Jonathan was the heir apparent. He was the next king in line. And even though this is a reality, he provides cover for and saves David's life on multiple occasions. And in 1 Samuel 18, there's this incredible scene where Jonathan takes off his robe and he gives it to David. And this was a sign of him transferring his status as heir apparent from himself uh, to David. And right after he does this, knowing David's going to become king because God said he was going to, he asks David to do one thing. He says this in uh, 1 Samuel 20. Uh, This is Jonathan speaking. If I'm still alive, show me the steadfast love of the Lord that I may not die. In the very last chapter of 1 Samuel um, 31, uh, all of Saul, Jonathan, and uh, all of their men die in this battle. And then David is established as king. And in his reign as king, David then remembers his covenant with Jonathan, which brings us to verse 1 this morning, where he says, Is there anyone left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? You see, David had experienced the kindness of God through his friend Jonathan, protecting his life, looking out for him, helping him escape danger. And because of this, he wanted to show the kindness of God to someone in his lineage, someone in his family. We might ask, though, what is the kindness of God that David had experienced? Well, the word here in the Hebrew, which the Old Testament originally was written in Hebrew, is the word hesed, H-E-S-E-D. And if you do a word study this week, I encourage you to do it. Uh, Just YouTube, um, Hesed Bible Project. They have an awesome video on it. But if you do that, you'll see that uh, God's hesed love is his self-commitment to be loyal to his people. 
God's Hesed love is His promise-keeping love. God's Hesed love is His unconditional grace given to His people. And this idea of Hesed love is seen throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. Right in the book of Jacob, in the book of Ruth, um, the whole story of Israel. In uh, Psalm 136, Hesed love is repeated 26 times. And the best way I could illustrate this is to steal a concept uh, from a book that I read in college. Uh, the author asks four questions that help us experience or understand what Hesed love truly is. These are the four questions. He says this, if you're not known and not loved, how would that make you feel? Well, that would be a tragedy, right? We're made for a relationship. We're made to be uh, in community. That would bring a sense of incredible sadness on us, right? But then he asks this, what if you're fully known, so somebody knows everything about you, but not loved? He said, well, that's our worst nightmare, right? For somebody to know every, uh, someone to know everything about us, but not really like us or care for us or, or love us. That would be terrible. And then he asked this, oh, what if you're partially known, but fully loved? How would that make you feel? Well, I guess good, right, on the surface, but uh, there might be some super, superficiality to it, right? Or potentially, what if they actually get to know me, really, and find out the, the real me? It could be a source of uh, insecurity. And then the last uh, question he asked, well, if you are fully known, somebody knows everything about you, and fully loved, how would that make you feel? Well, I don't know about you, but for me, I'd be 10 foot tall and bulletproof, courageous, bold. I can plant a church in a hard place, right? I can, you know, uh, walk through the darkest seasons of life because God knows everything about me, but also fully loves me. And that, that's what's uh, being expressed here in God's Hesed love. And with God and God alone, are we fully known and fully loved? He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. And he still loves us, right? God's love, um, God loves his people even when his people's love for him is fickle and faint, you know, last year I spent um, pretty much the whole year in my personal devotions studying First uh, Samuel and uh, the life of uh, Samuel, Saul, and David. And you know, through that, um, you know who's really unimpressive? David, right? If you really study First and Second Samuel, that guy flip flops uh, in terms of like he's crushing it for a bit, and then he just falls off the face of the earth, and then crushing, and then falls off. And I was oddly encouraged by that because my heart can do that in my relationship with God often as well. I wonder if you can relate to uh, how Hosea 6 verse 4 describes the heart of those who uh, trust in God. Uh, Hosea uh, 6 4, the Lord says, O Israel and Judah, what should I do with you? For your love vanishes like the morning mist and disappears like dew in the sunlight. Now I can certainly relate. Uh, you know, often before I preach, I don't know if you caught this, but I'll pray that, uh, an old hymn that says, uh, Well does the accuser roar of wrongs that I've done, I know them all, and thousands more, Jehovah knoweth none, right? Because my, my heart goes in and out, and my zeal and compassion, and, and uh, we're, we're fickle people at times. But in the midst of that, right, God doesn't love us because of our recent religious performance, right? He loves us because his hesed love is faithful to us even when we are faithless. And you might ask, well, how in the world can this be? How can God be faithful to a fickle person? How can... Uh, God be faithful to the faithless. Well, I'm stealing from one theologian. He says this, The fullness of the Lord's hesed is seen in the cross. There's the true hesed, Jesus Christ himself. He's the only human ever truly to be loyal to the Lord and to his neighbor in every aspect. He was treated as a covenant breaker and cursed for sin so that we who are unfaithful might be clothed in his faithfulness and thus redeemed. So, yeah, Jesus, that is the answer. How can God be faithful to the faithless? Jesus, he's the truest and fullest expression of God's hesed love towards sinful humanity. And Mephibosheth received kindness from David, but the kindness that followers of Jesus received from God our Father is exponentially 
higher as we experience the Hesed love of God. So first thing this morning, David was compelled to, sh- to show the Hesed love or God's kindness to another. Secondly, um, uh, thing I want you to see this morning is that Mephibosheth did nothing to earn his place in David's family. Now, as we uh, turn our attention to the many characteristics of Mephibosheth in the story, I wonder if you can see how much you resemble Mephibosheth. I think you look like him. You know, a silly way to illustrate this, in uh, 2013, I got my first iPhone. It was a big deal for me. I'd been doing the Motorola Razor flip phone forever. And, um, you know, when I got my first iPhone, I can remember I was downloading every app that I could find, like all of them. And uh, one that was trending recently was this celebrity lookalike app. And I was like, man, I want to know who I look like. So the, uh, being a young husband, you know, putting the interest of my wife before my own, I took a picture of her verse, right? And I had an iPhone 3 and T-Mobile, so it took like forever to load. But it finally loads, and then somebody gorgeous pops up. I don't know, because Jessica's gorgeous, and it was my turn, right? 